Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where jiu-jitsu practitioners open their minds to new ideas and concepts about personal development, entrepreneurship, jiu-jitsu, and life. Our mission is to inspire, impact, and or improve your life in some way to support you during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to the podcast. This is Gustavo Dantas, episode 143. We're doing something a little different today, so I will describe it in a little bit. Today, we're going to talk with Ray Freeman. He is the leader of One Community Jiu-Jitsu Club. It's a donation-based program in Kansas City, so we'll talk more about it. And something new that I'm doing is I'm bringing a co-host today, and it's one of GD Jiu-Jitsu Academy's black belt, second-degree black belt, Heath Flicker. He is a two-time IBJJF Master World's bronze medalist in the black belt division. He is the tournament director for the Arizona Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu League and one of the co-founders of Jiu-Jitsu Tribes. So that's one of the reasons I want to bring him here to talk about Jiu-Jitsu Tribe as well. We we're supposed to have a phone conversation and I decided, well, why not we just do a podcast and then we talk in the air about this. So Heath, glad to have you here, man. Just, um, just say hi and a little bit of your background. Sure. Appreciate uh, <clears throat> having me on and uh, thanks for the invite. So as far as background goes, um, I started with jujitsu a little bit later in life. You know, I was 35 years old when I got started. Um, prior to that, I'd kind of been a lifelong athlete, was a college uh, track and cross country athlete, um, then started pursuing business career, entrepreneurial aspects, that sort of thing. Um, sold my consulting company in the software space around uh, 2017. And then that gave me a little more luxury to train jujitsu as much as I wanted and, and pursue some other endeavors. So that's about the time I came on board the tournament director for the Arizona or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu League. And so that's been rewarding working with Gustavo and the local Arizona jiu-jitsu community, uh, putting on big events here. And also got to kind of during time, get a little bit more serious about competition career. So I was competing a lot through kind of purple belt, brown belt, uh, black belt days. Um, in that window, started teaching some at the academy as well. Found that really rewarding. And then I think Progression as people have the good fortune to good luck in business pursuits, et cetera, started to want to see ways that I could give back, uh, especially to something that has rewarded me as much as jujitsu has. So Gustavo and I uh, started talking a little bit and decided to co-found jujitsu tribe. And that's been honestly one of the more rewarding areas of my life over the last five or six years is just pursuing philanthropy in an area that has rewarded me as well. So that's uh, the quick with notes version on my background. Yes, sir. And I think your sound was kind of choppy a little bit. Did you hear Ray it was a little choppy at some point? It was a little choppy on my end as well, brother. Yeah. Um, so okay. know, we just... if, uh, 
if that continues, I'll maybe try to take my earbuds out. Yeah. Um, so let's get into the introduction for Ray. So meet Ray Freeman, a purple belt in jiu-jitsu and one community jiu-jitsu club leader in Kansas City, a donation-based program. Instead of standard monthly memberships or contracts, Ray fosters a sense of community by allowing individuals to contribute what they can, making jiu-jitsu acceptable, uh, accessible to those who might otherwise be excluded. Ray's inspiration to establish the One Community Jiu-Jitsu Club stemmed from a profound realization. Beyond aiding his weight loss journey, Jiu-Jitsu became a transformative outlet that helped him heal from traumas associated with foster care, instill humility, and provide a platform to connect with a diverse and vibrant group of professionals and individuals. Ray founded the One Community Jiu-Jitsu Club in 2020, it's a remarkable impact serving over 130 families in Kansas City. The club promotes respect, integrity, humility, and resilience, aiming to make jiu-jitsu accessible to all backgrounds. Race commitment extends to supporting Black-owned uh, black business and philanthropy. He partners with CSA Farms and tutors young children in reaching lives beyond jiu-jitsu. His vision integrating jiu-jitsu into schools for a wider access. So joint rate and the one community jiu-jitsu club in transforming Kansas City through jiu-jitsu power. So Ray, thank you for being on the show. Man, much appreciated, Gustavo. Dude, I, uh, I always love the opportunity to speak to other jiu-jitsu players, especially about just spreading the, the love that we all know that is jiu-jitsu. Uh, so yeah, thank you again for having me, brother. So one of the things for people who are listening, uh, the past few episodes, we try anytime I see someone doing some type of like social work related, like I want to know about it because there are not that many people doing that kind of service, right? Yeah. Yeah. As you as in as a, for, for people who are listening right now, most of the work, as you guys said, we do a lot of stuff in Brazil, but like some of the stuff that we do. Uh, in U.S., we have a few, just really, as far as I know, just a few groups in U.S. that do something similar. So I wasn't, yeah. I was doing a, I was in Kansas City for a fundraiser, and I met one of Trevor River students, Russell, that is, it's Ray's friend, and yeah. said like, dude, you gotta, you gotta meet uh, my friend. He runs out like, no kidding. Right away, I went to Instagram, look <laughs> at it, got in contact. And we want to know more about it, man. So before we start the program, tell you, you know, early days before jujitsu. Yeah, man, that's great. So, uh, yeah, man, my, you know, the bio that you had was fantastic, by the way. You hit the nail on the head. Uh, I have a background of born and raised here in Kansas City, Kansas, which a lot of people don't really know that, you know, Kansas City is, you know, two separate uh, cities, right? You got the Kansas City, Missouri, where the Chiefs are, where the Royals are. You got the thriving nightlife on the Kansas City, Kansas side. It's going to be uh, more neighborhoods, uh, a lot of uh, homes, a lot of families uh, and things like that. So um, I'm born and raised here. Um, my mother, you know, did her best, but ultimately lost her parental rights with me and my younger sisters. Uh, so that sent us into the foster care system. Um, I lived the life of moving from home to home, um, just kind of a lack of guidance, uh, lack of community, couldn't really, never really had that best friend from the second grade, you know what I mean? Or, or that teacher, you know, that, that stuck with me just because I, I was moved around. 
And so, um, you know, I aged out of foster care with a, a lot of, you know, issues that I didn't even realize were issues, right? So um, just being a young man, 18, 19 years old, uh, trying to put myself through post-education. Uh, and I met my, 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 uh, my wife there. Um, and so she has been super supportive as far as helping me deal with a lot of a lot of things, but there was still something missing, um, right? And I, I come from an experience where I've tried a lot of sports. You know, I played soccer, I've done bowling, uh, basketball, football, um, all your traditional sports. I've been in all of your uh, your religions. You know, I've been to a Catholic church, I've been to a Baptist church, I've been to Nazarenes. All of them are great, uh, I, but nothing really checked off as many boxes as far as helping me in my life as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I found that as a 26-year-old, uh, just looking to, for something to do to lose some weight, man. Um, and when I walked into the gym for the first time, there was a, a lady that was getting a private lesson. <laughs> the coach that was hosting the private lesson said, you know, jump in there, see how you do. Uh, sure enough, the lady jumped on my back real quick, hit me with a rear naked choke. And I was like, I never want to feel like that again. Right. So uh, and I feel like people have one or two responses to that. You're never going to feel like that again. So you're you're going to be out the door or you're never going to feel like that again. And you want to learn more. So I took the, the latter route, man, and I dove into being a student of the game. And here I am today. Beautiful, man. And so how was the process when you decided that I want to start this program? You know, so what was the yeah. breaking point? Man, that's a great question. So I was training at, uh, there was an American top team division here in Kansas City called American top team HD ran by Jason High and LC Davis. Uh, both of those guys are pro MMA fighters. So, you know, I was in there with the Lions, man, training with these guys that have ambitions of being in a UFC uh, going pro, uh, Jeff Molina. He's one of one of my longtime tra training partners. Uh, he's the number fifteen ranked flyweight in the world. So, um, but when that that gym, you know, kind of dissolved, it sent all of us into different portions of of Kansas City. Uh, and then COVID happened, right? So COVID happened. And I realized that in my area where I grew up in, in Wyandotte County, KCK, there was no Brazilian jiu-jitsu at all. Meanwhile, in, you know, the KC Metro, there's about two dozen gyms here. You know, there's a thriving jiu-jitsu community here in Kansas City. But then there's this, again, in Kansas City, Kansas, Wyandotte County, nothing. And then I had to look into why that is. And you know, there's a lot of bad that you can say about Wyandotte County. You know, we are the most unhealthy county in uh, Kansas going on 36 years strong. Uh, we, the the level of, of income for a household is on average $30,000. Um, our demographics are very mixed. We have a lot of white people. We have a lot of black people. We have a lot of Mexican people. We have a lot of Asian people, right? Uh, but in, 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 on the surface, that sounds like a great thing. But in our practice, these uh, different demographics hang out in their own pockets and they don't really interact with each other. And that creates discourse when you get into schools, right? We're seeing an uh, increase in school fightings just in between these different demographics because the cultures don't understand each other. 
So when I, I know I'm kind of going a little long winded, you're but good, you, you, you're good. You got to kind of, man, there's a lot of reason uh, why Wanda County needs this, but ultimately it's to really have the community interact with each other. And I never experienced that until again, walking into a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym for the first time, seeing people of all different colors, all different backgrounds, all different professions, ages, you know, it, like I was blown away you know once we put on that gi we're all the same you know uh and just humbled by that humbled by that real-time practice so that's when i got the idea to bring brazilian jiu-jitsu to wyandotte county uh and that's where one community jiu-jitsu club got its origins so what is the current building how does it work do you pay rent they they uh give you the space how does it work yeah, man. So a little bit more into that background. So in 2019, I left the corporate industry to join the nonprofit world. I started working for an organization called the Learning Club of KCK, which offers free uh, tutoring here in Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, they have one-to-one -one, uh, tutoring. Adult volunteers will come to the locations that uh, the Learning Club offers this tutoring at and literally uh, help kids learn how to read, help them with their homework, whatever the, the student needs that attention with, because that's a lot, uh, that, uh, that aspect in those kids' life is missing a lot of the time. Um, so that's where I get my origins in the nonprofit world. That program is hosted in an abandoned elementary school building. It's uh, called Blessed Sacrament Elementary School Building, which is owned by the uh, Catholic church that shares the parking lot, Blessed Sacrament Catholic Church. So I approached the, the, the Catholic church because I saw that they had open space, a room that wasn't being utilized for over a decade, uh, a classroom basically that had cobwebs everywhere, dust everywhere, just being stuffed with junk. And I said, let me clean this up, man, lay some mats down and start teaching jujitsu in here. And sure enough, the priest agreed. And so we uh, have an agreement to eventually start paying rent, but uh, we have not reached our financial goals to be able to do that. So that is, you know, part of the reason I wanted to come on this podcast, man, is we need to spread the word about getting more support for this program so that then we can, you know, pay for space because uh, that that stuff is we do have an overhead even being a nonprofit. Absolutely. Heath. Any question that comes to your mind regarding that? Because uh, like he's saying, like to get the word out and that's why we're here and maybe questions you have a little deeper, maybe to give even more, I don't know, uh, clarification for people who are not used because we hear about nonprofit work all the time. That's kind of what we do, but there are a lot of listeners who don't know. So anything that comes to your mind? Yeah, first, let me do an audio check. Is my audio sounding a little better now? Yes, sir. Okay, good. Um, so, Ray, one thing I'd be interested in is um, the the kids that you work with. How, how do they come on your radar? What's kind of the, the tip, prototypical kid that you think would benefit uh, working with you in your program? Yeah, so again, uh, I get a lot of my, the first part origins came a lot from the learning club, working with the learning club of KCK, those same students, that same base of students. Um, I saw that the learning club was really checking off a lot of boxes as far as getting the kids the education they need and that one-on-one -on -one attention. But then there were some students that were slipping through the cracks, needing that physical element, right? 
um, that we, that, you know, I don't have to explain to you guys and anyone else that's listening here that strange jujitsu, uh, that physical element with the educational element. Uh, I saw, you know, some students that were, you know, kind of approaching middle school, getting a little bit too, too cool to have a, a tutor type situation. So I wanted to take those kids and that's where we got our, our base. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, um, what you're saying resonates a bit because one of the arms that uh, for our nonprofit here in Arizona, uh, my sister actually works for a behavioral health organization. Um, and so we've done a partnership here locally. Uh, we we have the good fortune of, of having a lot of participation from local academies around mm-hmm. uh, the valley here in Arizona. So she's been identifying kids with that maybe, you know, have some element of behavioral needs, mm-hmm. be it self-confidence or depression issues or, you know, disciplinary issues, whatever it may be. And I've always found that jujitsu, even with our standard public kids, has a, a very much of a leveling effect. You know, you get these kids that come out, their egos maybe a little too high, you know, they're maybe have a little bit of bullying tendencies and they get into class and get choked by a girl half their size and it tends tends to humble them a bit. Mm-hmm. But then you mm-hmm. also get the shy kids that are not willing to engage with groups and things like that. And if you can get them over that initial hump, then you know it brings their self-confidence up when they start to learn skills and so on. So the early returns, we've been doing this program now about six months. And basically what the program is, is we have an academy sponsor the kid for free training for the first six months, provide them a kimono. And then at the end of six months, there'll be a checkpoint. And if it's working for the kid, if it's working for the academy, sometimes they'll continue on. Sometimes it turns into a, a, a paid situation. Um, but some of the early returns about kids that were battling, you know, pretty severe depression where they weren't getting outside, let alone interacting with anybody else they come to jujitsu and some of the tangential effects that happen is that kid then starts to develop a social circle. And one of the kids, you know, is now going out doing things outside the academy, birthday parties, things like that, that they just were not doing before. Um, so it's been, it's been awesome to see that. And I'm sure you're experiencing the same thing. Oh man. I, I mean, yes, quite literally everything that you just said, man. I mean, I have three, four, or I mean, probably even five or six kids that have, just really dove into the, what the community is, right? And so that's literally why I named it One Community Jiu-Jitsu Club, because I really do feel like Jiu-Jitsu is one community. Like I've been in different portions of this country and I can find mats and I can find brothers. I can find sisters. I can get on those mats and I can, you know, get my work in, meet people that I've never would have met otherwise and have genuine relationships. Uh, and, you know, in my opinion, that's way more valuable. Sure, self-defense is valuable, but that's almost even more valuable, right? Because you're going to use that in the everyday life. You may use your self-defense, hopefully not in your lifetime, but um, that community aspect, we need more of that. Um, an interesting thing about the program that we have that Heath was mentioning, we started this a few years ago. We did a pilot, right? Heath, maybe like two to three years ago. I don't know. Yeah, close it. to two years ago now. We yeah. did our first six week or, or six month, excuse me, uh, pilot with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had what, like maybe because we had, you know, the first group and then we had maybe about 15 kids, maybe be somewhere 
you know, the first group was 10, 10 kids. Mm -hmm. Some st stick with, uh, with jujitsu. So the problem that we realized, I mean, that was awesome. One of the things too, we'd love to partner with more kind of behavior centers like that. And, mm -hmm. but the problem is sometimes people don't know, you know, some of the, the places they don't know about jujitsu. Now they think liability, the kids, you know, they don't know. So what really worked is because, uh, his sister works there and then kind of can vouch like, Hey, you guys should try this. And then what was great was the, after the first group, kind of like the feedback from the parents, you know, uh, talking with, with people from resilient health. And they said like, man, really like this. You want to keep doing now the problem that we figured out was kind of the logistics because the center it's far, you know, from, from yeah. us. So that's when came the idea of like, let's partner up with schools and whoever wants to be a part of this. We see the kid, where does he live? What is the, the, the closest school? Mm -hmm. And then we're connecting. But it would be awesome to have, again, a facility in Kansas City that you can like, hey, this kid is too far from uh, one community, but there is a school close by that the owner is willing to participate in a program like that and mm -hmm. sponsor. So that's one of the things that we've been trying little by little to grow. And we'll see. We'll see. Yes. But having a program like yours, it's, it's great because it might be able to do something similar. Yeah. I'll talk just a little bit about uh, just a few partnerships that we've had that have been really successful. Uh, so there's a group called Thrive, and they work with teenagers. Uh, they gave them uh, different incentives like, in, like stipends uh, and rewards to participate in their program and, you know, our program just being linked in with them. So uh, them participating in jujitsu was rewarded. And of course, you know, once they got in there and were, were incentivized, they actually thought jujitsu was pretty cool afterwards. Uh, there's another organization, Heartland 180, uh, and they deal with kids that are kind of on the borderline of the criminal justice system, uh, maybe right on the end about to get into it or just into it um some kids just you know that don't maybe have you know fathers in their lives or that that mentor uh and so we partnered with them as well teaching you know those students jujitsu two times a week so those are the kind of relationships that we've we've used to really get access to the students but like you probably have experienced, Gustavo, it's really tricky to explain to someone who doesn't know what we're doing. It's really tricky to explain to them what we're doing. Uh, there really isn't a way to measure um, the, the benefits of jujitsu, in my opinion. Um, and honestly, the words are barely there. Like, it, I don't necessarily have all the, it would take me a long time to explain the words right but once you experience it you understand almost instantly so um that's been that's been the trick and a lot of my day is spent just educating people who've never experienced it yeah an interesting thing that i have this conversation weekly with new students i'm not even saying kids i'm talking about like mm -hmm. yep. uh like adults uh, mm -hmm. and just talking with the parents but the interesting things over the years, man, uh, people come in like, oh, like the same way you did. I want to get in better shape. 
I want to learn how to defend myself. But they stay because of the mental and the emotional aspect and the social aspect. You know what I mean? I think that they didn't think about it or maybe they kind of did. I don't know. But yeah. when they start going like, oh, wow, OK, this is go way beyond getting shape. Mm -hmm. And that's what really I feel that people stay in jujitsu because of it. Well, I mean, I, I can only share my perspective. And again, I come from a, a background where I literally had no family, right? Like I didn't have someone that I can lean into if I needed to move or someone to ask as far as, uh, you know, do you know a good electrician, you know, or et cetera, et cetera. Someone to hit up and do production or content with, right? So all of my closest circle at this point uh is mostly from jujitsu right so that is something that is is way more beneficial than most of the the, the attributes that jujitsu offers so i took a look at the uh the schedule and uh some of the classes so let's talk about training gi Person. no gi what is the mm. access for gi you know yeah. training all that stuff so let's talk about that Perfect. So yeah, we uh we always are seeking different partnerships and people who are wanting to donate geese to our students because we know that that is another uh, hurdle that a family you know might have to overcome. Um, so you know I'll take an example. One of my families, a single mother, she's just you know speaks Spanish primarily. Um, so I I'm, I don't speak any Spanish at all. But um, even if I had a $20 a month price tag, you know, she's got five kids. Uh, that would be $100 a month that she would have to pay out of her pocket that she really doesn't have. Um, so we just want them to come train, come get access to the training. We have geese for them. We try to get them uh, fitted for the geese, but sometimes, you know, just working with the donations that we give, it, it's not a perfect fit. But, you know, as my thing is, you're in the, you're in the equipment. You're, you're getting access to the training. You're here, uh, and that should spark the interest for your life. Mm -hmm. uh, Heath, any specific questions, especially with the gear, that's things that we can get the word out, or even Jiu-Jitsu Tribe can possibly um, do something? What comes to your mind as far as even, you know, thinking about number? Uh, actually, before you, uh, uh, you mentioned uh, anything, Heath, um, how many current people are training just to have an idea like let's say there's it, count it doesn't matter if they have geese or they don't just how many mm -hmm. people currently uh it's including kids and adults yeah yeah i'd say we probably are about 30 to 35 students mm -hmm. and what about kids i'd say about half of that is kids and about the other half is adults and but they're the thing is they don't all show up at once. You know jujitsu, right? Yeah, like yeah. you never know who's gonna show up in a day. So um because our space is very limited. Like we're mm -hmm. again in a if you could imagine a elementary school classroom from 1920, you got chalkboards on the wall still. Uh that's where we're at. You know, it's a small room. We laid mats down, it's about 700 square feet. So once you get 12 bodies, big or small, rolling around in there, it's pretty packed. Go ahead, Heath. What do you think? Yeah, so I think, you know, the concept of, of equipment and just even backing into what you had mentioned before, overhead expenses. I think one of the challenging parts about going into this type of work is, is the fundraising aspect, yes. right? And, and 
how to frame fundraising such that it resonates with your community members. Uh, because I think if the story is told correctly and they understand the impact, um, you know, there are a lot of people out there that are philanthropic in nature and are willing to give it. But sometimes it's hard to tell that story and hard to get the visibility out there. Mm -hmm. um, and people are willing to do donations. But a lot of times, you know, we find that they're willing to participate in certain initiatives more than just like, here's 20 bucks or here's 40 yep. bucks. Yep. Um, for example, we've been encountering similar problems with equipment, um, both facilities wise and just uniforms and things like that with our social projects in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we did here, um, we're actually on round two of it, is a gi drive. So we've worked, partnered with a gi company they had been willing to, you know, work with us on the cost of a gi. And mm -hmm. so basically we've framed the fundraising initiative such that if you purchase a gi for yourself, then we will also provide one at no cost to one of the kids in the social projects in Brazil. Um, that's an example of like a fundraising initiative where the person participating gets something out of it, but then, you know, they're also doing it for a good cause. So if they're mm -hmm. needing to buy a gi anyway, why not do one that has some social impact? Mm -hmm. um, so tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe the the pros and cons or any sure. frustrations you've run sure. into or yeah. or what types of things you've done in terms yeah. of uh, fundraising, because that, that can often, often be the most difficult part yeah. of this type of work. Yeah, no, that's definitely the most unfun part of running a 501c3 organization. I can I can tell you that for me, you know, I did not get into this for money, right? So I got into this to spread jujitsu. That is my mission. Um, as I'm learning to really fall into this executive director role uh, of this of this charity, uh, I do understand that, you know, we are still a business, right? So uh, there are businesses that run for money, that raise money for their profit, uh, but we are a business that raises money for our mission. So I still need money to buy mats. I still need money to uh, pay instructors. I still need money to pay utilities, pay for space. You know, we still do have overhead costs. So actually one of my friends asked me that the other day. He's like, you're a nonprofit, but how do you like, how do you get money if you're not charging for anything? Well, we, uh, we seek grants. We seek uh, corporate sponsors. Again, like the, again, I told you about the Heartland 180 and the Thrive. Like we charge them a very small fee so that they can get access to the uh, the program. It it looks good on them. It looks good on us. It's great for the kids. I don't see how anyone loses out of that situation, right? So we are still raising money for our mission. Uh, and as long as you keep that in mind, whenever you're doing any fundraiser initiatives, you'll be okay. Yep. So maybe, you, you know, at some point, maybe offline this conversation, we can talk about, you know, Jiu-Jitsu Tribe and yeah. I'm already some, thinking, of the, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. some of the areas where we've found a little traction, other mm -hmm. areas where, you know, it was probably more effort than the output warranted. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think with Gustavo and I being co-founders of this and, and doing it as one of many things that we do yourself being kind of a solo founder. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of this is just trial and error. You know, mm -hmm. we're just mm -hmm. 
kind of feeling out the things as we go and trying to put more effort into the things that are frankly looking like they're resulting in positive benefits for the community we're serving. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of times it's try something oh, that didn't quite work. It wasn't quite so put it on the mm-hmm. shelf and move on to the next thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, you know, it's not, it's not rocket science. Cause I mean, there are, there is, people are incentivized to donate to 501c3 organizations because uh, you're going to pay your taxes or at least you should <laughs> uh but are you gonna you know uh want to get a tax incentive or you want to maybe cut that bill down a little bit because you can you know put money into your community by uh and then you would you know be incentivized on your your taxes so uh there's that we're always looking for you know the the larger donors because um you know those guys can afford to really fund a whole program by themselves if if they have the heart for what we're doing um and again i've i've just seen that in my experience working in the nonprofit world um, yeah i would say one area that we have improved in this year that we were not as good in you know in the first probably year or two but we've improved this year is just exposing the end result of those donations so mm-hmm. for for example uh, we work with a lot of social projects in brazil gustavo was able to make a trip down there this year uh, and we had a cameraman kind of trail him and do a little bit of a of a documentary about mm-hmm. the actual project so it's not just grainy pictures or you know yep. cell phone video that we get but we had like a little bit better quality and now our local donor base can get exposure to, oh, this is where my my donations are going. Yep. And then with that gi drive that I mentioned, we did kind of a follow-up video where when we sent the gis down there, we did kind of an unboxing and a mm-hmm. handing out video to the kids. And just, I mean, it only takes one of those kids to get their first new kimono and a big mm-hmm. smile on their face to really get the donors to go, oh, okay, I get it. Yep. So, yep. you know, I think that that kind of, audio visual uh element of oh, yeah. who your community is that's a big one oh and yeah fortunately Con- we have social media to help us with that yeah content is definitely a huge player whenever you're you know doing any fundraising in- initiative or honestly just educating people about your mission right so you st- you're always going to be educating about your mission um you know the, at one community jiu-jitsu club our end game is to eventually get brazilian jiu-jitsu into the public school system I believe that is a very obtainable. I know it is a very uh, tricky goal, but I believe that is obtainable. People have been advocating for practical life skills to be taught in our public school systems for a long time. I believe that instead of you know PE playing dodgeball, we can learn jujitsu in that slot, um, and that's what we're aiming for. So a lot of the the funds that we raise go towards you know uh lobbying for that those in meetings right like i have to spend a lot of time tracking these athletic directors down and then they're going to point me into the direction of the people who write the curriculum for the schools so uh, and that's going to take a lot of educating that person right about what jujitsu is so that's that's kind of my mission in a nutshell um really just educating people about what jujitsu is because on the surface it looks like we're just choking each other (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm gonna try. Uh, we need to get he put him in contact with Jensen. Jensen, yep. he's the the head of Higher Ground in Tucson, Arizona. He was able to implement jujitsu in a school district in Tucson. What? So that's the only person that I know in the United States. Yeah, I mean, person. as well, as I was listening. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, Ray. I was just gonna say, as I was listening to your intro story and your origin story. 
plus kind of where you're at today and some of the aspirations with your future. The whole time I was listening to that, I was thinking about this gentleman. Uh, he's in Tucson, Arizona. So there was an abandoned high school in Tucson, Arizona that the county agreed to lease to him for a dollar per year. Um, and he had identified this gap between when school lets out and when the average parent gets home, you know, so you have this 2.30 p.m. Yes. to 5 p.m. school program. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, idle, idle hands. You know what that leads to. So they leased him uh, the abandoned high school. He was able to implement many after school programs, art, music, tutoring, etc. But one of the primary ones was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu program. Oh. And he started that just in his local community. And again, the logistics problem of this kid lives over on the other side of town. So he has a hard time getting to the, the facility. So he then started working with some, some local schools. And as basically a curriculum addendum they got jujitsu on as a substitute for a PE class there were requirements to be able to participate in that like your grades had to be in a certain level you had to be from a disciplinary perspective you know staying out of trouble that sort of thing and so he implemented that last check. I went down to visit him. It was at three different schools in the local Tucson area where it was part of the school curriculum program. The class was taught at the school. He still did his own classes. One other thing that you mentioned was working with some youth that are kind of on that uh, juvenile borderline where maybe they've even been expelled from school and things like that. So with that, as opposed to other types of punishment, they gave these kids an option to enroll in jujitsu training. And you mentioned measurement criteria earlier. They were coming out with some early statistics, but the statistics were kind of jaw dropping in terms of recidivism and stuff like that, where once kids got in there and they got a taste of training jujitsu, of course, not everyone, but a high percentage of them started to change their ways in terms of disciplinary problems and things like that because they couldn't participate in jujitsu if they continued with the di disciplinary problems. So much of your story parallels with kind of the path that Jansen's taken. And he's been in some national, international publications at this point as a thought leader and forming best practices around all these things that we're, we're talking about. So I think that would be a really good gentleman to connect you with, to kind Please. of say like, how did you, did you turn left or turn right when you hit this roadblock and things like that? Oh One my. thing I'm going to send you, Ray, he sent me a few years ago, they did a study uh, with a U of A, University of Arizona, where they actually, that was the first time they actually did a study about like a before jujitsu, after so they did like some really cool studies to be able to kind of start measuring more of this work so he he's been on my podcast i have an episode with him a few years ago uh, i had lunch with him i think a few months ago i mean incredible dude incredible yes. dude and it's uh there's nothing uh, like it in the united states as far as i know 
Well, I mean, I was going to mention before you dropped that bombshell on me. <laughs> that's that's an excellent nugget. I would love to get connected with Jansen. That sounds like, I mean, we are two peds in a pod and uh, I can learn from him. Um, Ricardo Laborio, he has the program in uh, the U University of Central Florida, mm -hmm. the accredited jiu-jitsu program that is in the uh, it's post education right so it's it is college but it is accredited so that is someone that i've been leaning into for any kind of nuggets that he can offer right so i mean there are there, there are philanthropic efforts being done in the jiu-jitsu world uh and i think if you know we can all put our heads together and resources together then we can really make some things shake so that's what i'm all about is collaborating as jiu-jitsu players i feel that we will be able to, and as soon as we're done, we we give a little, we get some more details. But I really feel that Jujutsu Tribe can do something about the geese, like in like soon. Yeah, you know, it's not a massive program that we sure. can get. You know, uh, yep. the geese, because what we do, like we did in Brazil, um, we got so everyone has the same color of gi, a black mm -hmm. gi, you got a design, and then we kind of custom made putting the logo of their program. So they nice. have, they identified with something, not just a gi. Sure, so sure. something that my, uh, that has evolved in, as I started to get involved with nonprofit in 2010, right? So okay. I started yep. because I was a competitor in Brazil, like in the nineties, and I struggled. I wanted to compete. My mom couldn't really afford uh, tournaments so I started to go after sponsors and stuff like that and as I got older I said like man you know one day I want to sponsor like kids to compete so mm. I start kind of doing this I start doing a little bit even if it's just like paying their entry fee or whatever so 2010 became started to become more involved with this and I noticed that it wasn't a good strategy even though it was good I mean I'm in supporting you know some projects yes. to get some kids competing yes. however the main the main part of it all of them are missing the sustainability because uh -huh. they go like let's compete raise the money to compete and then suddenly the guy's like okay the program's over i need to get a job and i can't teach the kids anymore the program is over yep. so that's when you know uh jujitsu tribe got really revamped and was like man we can't do this uh like just tournament anymore i we don't support like tournament like i do my personal donations yes. for that sure. Sure. um and of course you have that's a different conversation but you have the jiu-jitsu tribe institute in brazil so yes. we can support that but our main thing is like really the sustainability um yes. one of the things that my thought process kind of has evolved i have done uh, ghee drives, you know, to get people donated geese and sand mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And over time, growing up in Brazil and hearing like community leaders, some people who are like, like doing big things there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them start talking like that kind of like in school, you're in school in Brazil and be like, donate your old stuff. So it started since the beginning. Some kids are living in a lower like area. They start thinking like, Oh, I just received the rest of it. I just yeah, received yeah. not not good stuff. So they started to change and that kind of changed my mind too. That's why I'd say like, I don't want to do a gi drive for old geese anymore. Why cannot have like brand new geese? There's one program that I love, a uh, good friend of mine, we're basically replicating their, their program in the Jiu-Jitsu Tribe Institute in Brazil. 
they did a program because people like donate shoes. They're like, no, 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 no. Well, you want to give brand new shoes in a box that they mm. open the box. They smell mm. the product. They experience mm. what is have something new. Mm. So, of course, you can have people donated like, um, hey, I got some geese. Cool. You know, that's what I told him. Um, our guy mm. in Brazil. I don't. I, I don't think we should be doing like donate geese. No, no, no. It's kind of yeah, go, yeah, hey, yeah. I have this here. But as far as campaign, no, we need to give campaign to like brand new That's stuff. That's really good. That's really yeah. good. Yeah. So that yeah. really changed my mindset over the years and it's been getting stronger as yeah. I see like when you uh, when you record the kid the kids are opening the geese. Yeah. Um I visited this place in February, but like the deliver of the gee was in June. I wasn't there, but I was talking with my my film guy and he's saying mm -hmm. like man the kids are looking at the geese like this like you know yeah, when you buy a new suit you know yeah, like your new clothes and you're like so and that's the experience that you want to have they get in something new so yeah. i i feel that it's very doable and for us to get you know make and the cool thing too like before and that's what we want to do with you. Like, yo, get the list of their sizes. So it's not yes. just like we have geese and then yep. not everyone. So we yep. know exactly this is the gee for each one. Mm -hmm. And then uh, get him going. And ideal would to start with probably like 18 years old and under, you know, maybe okay. start with yep. the kids. Yep. And yep. depending, I don't know uh, the situation of the adults too, because like I said, some people just can't afford really, really. Yeah, no, honestly, I, you know, I, I tried to think about the adults, because honestly, I want it to be a family event, mm -hmm. you know, I want, you know, a, a single dad to bring his three kids in, they get the training before then he trains after, Yeah, they could just sit down and do their thing after. Um, again, that's the single mom with five, five kids, you know, love for her to get some training in too. Uh, so it's, it's, I, I really think that, you know, a family that trains together stays together. Me, my, my wife, my son, all three of us are training, you know, you guys, mm -hmm. you guys know this. I don't have to explain to you. It's just fun. No. <laughs> cool. So yeah, no, anything, anything that anyone can do to help, you know, check out our website, www.onecommunitybjj.com. Um, and we, we'd love to have your support. Yeah. Anything else you have in mind, uh, Heath? No, just want to congratulate Ray on the good work he's doing. You know, it seems kind of daunting when you start down that path, especially, you know, I can imagine as a solo person. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, if you impact one live positively, you know, it's worth the effort. So yes, sir. just want to congratulate you on the work you're doing. Much appreciated, yes, man. And, th and thank you guys. I mean, I'm I'm happy to meet other people that are doing the same work, you know, it, like Gustavo said at the very beginning, there's very few people in the jujitsu community that are doing, you know, this kind of work. So uh, thank you guys for doing this. I appreciate it. And Instagram is a uh, one community, one community jujitsu. Jiu yes, sir. One community jujitsu. That's going to be uh, our information across the board or my Twitter is Ray Freeman BJJ. Uh, so yeah, you guys can find me pretty easily if you Google one community jujitsu club. Cool. Awesome. Um, make sure you guys stay on, stay on online real quick and, um, for all the listeners, uh, 
thank you for the support. And for people who support, you have a lot of Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supporters. If you haven't checked out, maybe you're listening. Some people might be listening to this podcast for the first time because of Ray and, and because of One Community Jiu-Jitsu. So take a look at, at our Jiu-Jitsu, at Jiu-Jitsu Tribe on Instagram and Jiu-Jitsu Tribe.org. And I see you all soon. Us. We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.